All right, turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 3 in your Bibles or your devices. Galatians chapter 3, and I'm going to be speaking actually for the next two weeks. I'm going to have the same topic. I'm going to be thinking about and preaching about what does it mean to live life in the Spirit? What do we mean when we say we need to live life in the Spirit? Galatians 5, we're going to get to that next week a little bit. It speaks about keeping in step with the Spirit or walking in the Spirit. And what does that mean? And often in our kind of in our modern day thinking, we think walking in, walking in the Spirit or living life in the Spirit is everywhere we go, we listen to worship music in our car. Is that it? I think it's part of it. I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing to listen to worship music. But I, I'm contending there's more. There's more for us. Or maybe it's that someone taught you that when you wake up in the morning, you've got to pray for tongues in 15 minutes, and then you're really walking in the Spirit. Is that it? Or what do you think? Any, any thoughts? What is walking in the Spirit? You don't have to throw them out. I'm just in your mind. Just what is, what is walking in the Spirit? What does living life in the Spirit mean and look like for you? And so we're going we're gonna to do something so simple this morning out of Galatians. I'm just going to make two points right at the end. We're going to unpack this text. We're going to look at what it means. And then we're going to expound it a little bit. So let's, let's read together Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. This is a great way to start a letter to people. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or who has tricked you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, says Paul, who's the author. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? This guy's not afraid to offend people, right? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work, works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Let's bow our heads and let's, let's lift up this word to our Father this morning. Lord, we come with hearts that are so prone to want to do stuff in our own strength. We want to work in our own effort. We want to be Bob the Builders. We want to fix it ourselves. We want to work so hard. And when we come to a text like this, it just gets right in and offends and assaults that side of us and says, how did you, how did you get here? Wasn't it by the Spirit? Lord, would you challenge us this morning by your word? If we've never seen this before, would you awaken it to our hearts? If we don't even follow you, we don't even know you, God, would you speak to us this morning? We come under your word expecting to hear from you. Open our ears, Lord. There's so many distractions. There's so many thoughts and so many people in different places in this room this morning. Some with great anxiety and depression. Some with great joy. Some with deep family struggles. Some just fighting with all their might to keep their marriage together. Or their children in a, in a place where they still feel like a family. God, we bring it all before you. And we sit under your word and say, speak to us. Teach us, Lord. Teach us how to live by your Spirit. Teach us what that means. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. 
and amen. So a, a good place, and this is, a, this is if ever you're reading your word, a great place to start whenever you approach a text is with the immediate context. What's actually going on? Because if you, if you remember, this was not written for you and I, primarily. Right? There was actually a group of people called the Galatians, and this was being written to them. So what's the immediate context? And this group of Christians, when you read it, it becomes quite obvious, especially in the wider context of, of Galatians, they've become really confused. And Paul goes after them, and he says, you're foolish, and you're bewitched. You've been tricked. Someone's duped you. Someone's bluffed you into something else. And it seems that they used to have something, but now they've lost it. And it seems that they started out doing something really well. They were doing something really right. But along the way, probably without even noticing, there's this drift. There's this drift. And without realizing it, the something that they were doing so right became something that they were doing so wrong. Anybody beside me in the room relate to that feeling. I think of marriages this week. I've been thinking a lot about marriages for some reason. And I, I just think of how many millions and millions and millions and millions of marriages around the world. This could be the description of their marriage. It started out and it was so right. He was so perfect. She was so lovely. It was just, the, it was just this whirlwind romance. It was perfect. It was so right. And now some months or years or decades later, they're just so wrong. And what's the world's answer to that? What does our culture tell us? Well, just divorce them, right? You must have been wrong in the first place. Find another one. Go look for another Mrs. Wright or another Mr. Wright. Let's find them. If we just find the right person, then it will be right. But what they do is they have a second marriage, then a third marriage, and a fourth marriage because they never realize that, 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 that it's not, the problem is not this. It's within or maybe you think about your varsity years and you came here in first year, man, you were going to study so hard. You were going to work, you know, till three every morning, sleep for three hours. I don't know, that was not how I did varsity, but maybe you came like that. But now it's third year, fourth year, fifth year, sixth year. You're demotivated, you're struggling, you just want to party, whatever it is. You started out so right, but somewhere along the way, it just got so wrong. Or maybe... Any, any Christ follower in the room, anyone who follows Jesus this morning would say, I recognize that in my life. Man, I started out so right, I just chasing after God. Anyone who came anywhere near me, like within a 30-kilometer radius of me, I would tell them about Jesus. But now I, I just feel like I'm going through the motions. It, it feels like, if I'm honest, Paul, it, just, it feels like a slog. Hey? Getting to, just, even just getting to church is like, oh man, I have to, well, I better... You know, okay, anyone else? Just me. <laughs> I know it's not just me. So the immediate context actually in this text, in this Galatian text, is extremely simple. It's a group of people, these Galatians, they have come to true faith. They've come to true faith. That's important to note. And they've had this incredible experience of the Spirit. They know they've received the Spirit. Paul's able to say to them, how did you receive the Spirit? So they're not sitting there wondering, did we receive the Spirit, didn't we? They know they received the Spirit. He's saying, how did you receive it? 
And he's saying you received it when I came with my friends and we preached Jesus to you. We lifted up Christ high in front of you. And we'll speak about that just now. But now they're confused and they're turning to some other gospel, Galatians 1 says. And Paul gets after them even more in Galatians 1 if you go and read it. He says, I hear there's another gospel that's coming among you. There's someone else teaching you another gospel. He says, even if I come back to you, or even if an angel comes to you and speaks any other gospel other than the one we proclaimed, let him be cursed. Whew. And then he says, just in case you missed it, you can go and read this in Galatians 1. He says it twice. Let me say to you again, let him be accursed. So Paul is serious about this gospel. And then he, he appeals in verse 4. He says to them, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. What is, what is he appealing to? He's appealing to their lived experience. He's saying, guys, I held up Jesus. You had this moment where you realized he's the Christ. We had the Holy Spirit that comes pouring into our lives. And then something actually like changed in our lives. We started getting persecuted. We started suffering. Because this church in this day, it wasn't popular to come to Jesus. You go home at Christmas and tell your family that you've come to Jesus in this context, you probably lose your inheritance. It was hardcore. And so Paul appeals to their experience and he says, guys, what, what happened to you? You had, you had this experience, you had it so real, it was so real and so right and you knew it was so true that you were suffering for it. Now are you going to turn away from that? As if it was just all pretend and not really real? Are you following what he's saying? It's powerful. Oh man, I love the Bible. Does, does he, verse 5, he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Do you remember the story in Acts chapter 10 of Cornelius, the Gentile? There's this Gentile man and he's on his knees and he's busy praying and he's a man who's been extremely generous with his money and he's a man who's trying to be righteous before God. And he has this vision and in his vision he gets told, it's incredibly detailed when you go and read it. I've been listening to it again this week. Go to this street, it tells him the name of the street, you'll find this man. Go and so he sends people to go and get this guy. While he's sending him, Peter's that man. Peter has this vision of all these defiled beasts right, coming down from heaven. Just by the way, unless you're Jewish, that's us. We're the Gentiles. We're the pig in the sheet, right? That's coming down from heaven. And, and Jesus says to him in this vision, he says, Peter, don't despise what I've called. And it happens three times. This vision keeps coming to him. And at the same moment, just by coincidence, right? There's a knock at the door. And there's these Gentiles standing there. And they said, hey, we had a vision and we sent for, for Peter. God told us to come and get Peter. He's going to come. So Peter goes and speaks to these guys. And it says, as he was speaking to them about the Christ, as he was just proclaiming Jesus, Jesus, this is who Jesus is giving them the news. It says the Spirit fell upon them and they began to speak in tongues as it had happened with the Jewish people back at Pentecost. And then Peter says, surely we can't withhold baptism from these people. The Spirit has not distinguished from them. They're exactly the same and they, and they marvel. When Peter goes, he first takes like this criticism from the Jewish people. How, how dare you welcome in Gentiles? Later on in Acts, you go and read, how dare you welcome in these Gentiles? And then Peter explains to them, but this is what happened. And then it says they marveled that the grace of God had come not just to them, but even to the Gentiles. It's beautiful, right? And I forgot why I was telling you all of that. <laughs> but it's such a beautiful story. <laughs> 
But it's because this story, have you suffered so much, you Galatians? It reminded me of this. It's, it's so real. You go and ask those Gentiles in Cornelius' house, hey, did you receive the Spirit? How did you come to faith? Man, they knew. They knew. This is how we came to faith. And as Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you, you bewitched, you fools. Twice he calls them fools. Why does he say that? He says that because they were allowing Mosaic culture to come back into their churches. They were just saying, you know, if you just have a little snip snip, then you can really follow God. You just follow this law or follow this Jewish tradition. Or do, then, then you're really going to be right before God. And these Gentiles were listening to people who were trying to turn them into Jews. And that's why Paul goes after them so hard. So let's read it again. I want to read the text for us and just let it wash over us again because it's just so profound. Oh foolish Galatians. In fact, you know what? Just for change, why won't you stand up with me? Stand up with me and let's actually just read it as a congregation. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Thank you. You can sit down again. And all through this text, what is Paul saying? He's saying, guys, having started so right, how have you now drifted into so wrong? Having started so right, how have you so now drifted into so wrong? And so that's the immediate context of what this verse is for the Galatian people. But then right at the end of that, this little verse, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, leads us so beautifully into the next question that we need to ask as we come and approach the text, the biblical text. Paul says there's this Abraham guy and somehow he believed God and that was given to him as righteousness. And what Paul's doing in that moment is essentially biblical theology is what we would call it. Biblical theology is zooming out. And it's asking, what is the big picture of the whole Bible? And where does this story of the Galatian people, or whichever other story you're reading, how does that fit into the big story of the whole Bible, right? Biblical theology. And so Paul, while he's talking to the Galatians, zooms out. And he says, you're facing this, but I want to tell you about somebody else. It's this guy called Abraham. And effectively what Paul's saying is that this is not some new idea. I'm not preaching something new to you. This goes all the way back thousands of years. So I'm preaching to you today about two odd thousand years from when Paul was preaching. But when Paul's preaching, he's appealing to Abraham. It was a few thousand years before him. See how this kind of concertina effect, they're all, we're preaching with this whole thing because there's one thorough story over the whole of Scripture. So who was Abraham? Abraham was this man. He was a, a moon worshiper and a, a stars and sun worshiper. God came and called him. And then as he progresses in his journey with God, God makes him this promise. Through you, Abraham, all nations on earth will be blessed. Do you know why South Africans are blessed? 
because of that promise. That promise that was given to Abraham that all nations on the earth would be blessed through him is why we walk today in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. It's the same blessing. Abraham was the great father of the Jewish nation. This is why the Arabs and the Jews are constantly at war, right? This is why they're constantly shooting missiles over at one another. What's that all about? Well, it's about Abraham had these two sons, and the one was the illegitimate son, Ishmael, and from him came the Arabs, and they say, no, that's the true line to Abraham. And the Jews say, no, Isaac, his son with Sarah, that's the true line. So the Jews say, that's the true line, and then they start this huge fight, and they keep fighting for centuries. That's what's going on. And so Abraham somehow receives this righteousness, but I want, you to, I want you to think that Jesus hadn't come yet in Abraham, and Paul's appealing to Abraham. In fact, the law hadn't even come yet. The law wasn't even in place. And you see, if you look at Abraham's life, we have this picture of this great Jewish father, but actually it's a life full of sin, full of weakness, full of feebleness, pretending that his wife is his sister because he's so scared of the king whose land he's going into that he actually lets his wife go into the, like, into the concubine of the king. It's crazy stuff, this man Abraham. But, man, the most beautiful demonstration of faith, of trusting, this is faith, trusting that what God says would happen, would happen. Trusting that what God said would happen, would happen. And so this verse that Paul quotes is actually Genesis 15, 6. All the way back, it says in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. So this is what, I'm trying to help you zoom out here on the text, right? Are you following me? Are you with me? You're all very quiet. You're listening, okay. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying nowhere in all of the glorious stories of the Scripture, if you zoom out and you look at the whole Bible as a whole, right back to Abraham, your great father, he's saying, nowhere was anyone ever saved by religious observation. No one was ever saved by following laws and rituals. Even your great father Abraham was saved. How? By faith. He was declared Righteous. Righteous is a big word to say you're standing in right standing before God. Do you get it? In other words, Paul's saying, Galatians, the way that you're living right now, the way that you're trying to live with the law, and the way that you're trying to work this whole thing out in your flesh, it's never been the plan. Not since Jesus, but not just since Jesus, even from Abraham's time, it's never been the plan. What has been the plan? Hearing with faith. Did you see how many times that came up in the Galatians 3 text? Hearing with faith, hearing with faith. I mean, let's look at it again. Let's ask these, because it's, the whole thing is just rhetoric questions, right? Paul says, verse 2, Let me ask you only, did, the, the, only this. Did you receive the Spirit? To which the Galatians could reply, Yes! By works of the law? No, it's not hard, guys. You can shout it out. Or by hearing by faith, hearing with faith. Yes. And then he says, are you so foolish? Can I be provocative? Are you so foolish? Am I so foolish? As we start to think about application into our own lives, are we so foolish? But let's stay with the Galatians for now. 
Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, did you begin by the Spirit? Yes. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Can't hear you. No. It's like, that would be crazy. That would be crazy, right? Did you suffer so many things in vain? No. Surely it wasn't in vain. Do you see how this text works? And then verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, is that what he's doing among you Galatians? Yes. Yes, we see him working miracles among us. Even the, the greatest miracle of all for me is not a person jumping out of a wheelchair. It's a person who comes to new life. The greatest miracle of all is someone whose eyes are suddenly open and they see, Oh my God, I can see you. How did he do that? Did he do that by works of the law? I hear you scream, no. Or by hearing with faith, I hear you shout, yes. Just as Abraham believed God. Another way of saying hearing with faith. He heard God and he said, yes, I'm going to trust you. I heard with faith. In other words, Paul is saying, just as it has always been. Do you get the biblical theology? Do you get the zoomed out picture? It's always been like this. Now let me pause here for a moment. And I want to speak to you specifically if you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, and by that I mean that you call Him Lord. You say, He's my Savior. If He tells me to do something, I want to do it. I love Him with all my heart. If that experience doesn't, doesn't um, describe what you know as Christian faith, maybe you need to ask, am I, am I truly a follower of Christ? Or did I just grow up in a Christian home? So I want to speak to you for a moment. And I want to ask you, a question, because I think that when speaking to people who don't know Christ, there's often this idea that all religions are effectively the same. They're all much of a muchness, and everyone's trying their best to get to God. All roads are going to lead there. So, you know, whether it's Islam or Christianity or Hinduism or New Age or whatever it is, we're all trying to get to God. So can't we just get along? Can't we just get on with it and let's just get to God? Kind of idea. Anyone else hear that? Anyone else Believe that maybe if you're not here and you don't know Christ. That's a profound, profound misunderstanding of what Christianity is. A profound misunderstanding. Let me tell you, what's the, what is the difference between Christianity and every other religion? And you can go and investigate this. I invite you. The Word of God stands up to scrutiny. Investigate it. Think about it. Reason over it. Go watch stuff. Listen to stuff. And you'll come to the same conclusion, I'm sure. The difference between Christianity and every other religion is every other religion says do. You have to do. You have to be big enough. You've got to be good enough. You've got to behave in a certain way. Christianity says done. It's the prayer that Ollie was praying during worship. Lord, we come to you. And he was saying this week, I've just, in his own personal life, he was saying this week, I've just experienced my own brokenness, and my own sinfulness, and my own weakness. It's that experience. And Christ comes and says done. Every other religion says do. Right? Follow laws. Earn it. Be good enough. Be moral enough. Don't sleep with your girlfriend. Christianity says you'll never make it. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to measure up to God. And initially you're like, whoa, that's like a heavy weight. Why are you putting this heavy weight on me? I came in here already like discouraged. Now you're discouraging me even more. But every other religion says climb up this ladder. 
And, you, and I love, and you, know, you guys have heard Steph, I'm sure. Most of you would have heard Steph who leads New Gen preach. And he does this thing where it's like this guy climbing up the ladder and he gets up to like the rung three or four and then Steph goes, doop, 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 doop. you know, he has a bad thought walking along the street and sees this beautiful woman and he thinks something and he's like, doop, 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 all the way down to the bottom. And I just love how he always does that. Doop, 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 doop. And it's always just stuck in my, doop, 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 you know. But this is the idea of every other religion. You've got to climb the ladder and you, you, you finally think you're getting somewhere, you're getting close to God and then inevitably... You sin. Christianity teaches that Jesus is like a fireman. And you can't climb the ladder on your own, but you are in a house that's burning and you are going to die. But Jesus in His grace comes rushing down the ladder and He picks you up. You can't even climb it yourself and He throws you over His shoulder and He gets the ladder and He climbs up the ladder and there's no doop, 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 doop. He just climbs up the ladder with you on His shoulder and He says, Done! That's the difference. That's the difference. Christianity says, done. And this means in the Galatians text that we're reading today, it could never, ever, ever be said. If you think about this, when Paul's challenging the Galatians, and he's saying, how did you receive the Spirit? It could never be said, we received the Spirit through the works. We, could, we, we received the Spirit through some kind of fleshly effort or, or keeping all the balls juggling or, or making it seem as if we're really following God. Not once. Not once in all of Scripture, in all of mankind's efforts to reach or connect with God have we managed to do it on our own. Man, when we read that right, that should be the biggest relief sigh from our hearts. It should feel as if all the guilt and the weight of the burden of trying to reach God in our own strength, while at the same time in the back of our minds there's this accusing voice that says, you know you're never going to get there. You know you're never going to get there. You know you're never going to get there. And we try and shush that voice. Be quiet, be quiet. I'm trying my hardest. I'm going to concentrate. It should be the biggest sigh of relief. And it should, in, our, in believers' hearts, it should raise a worshipful gratitude in our hearts saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done in my life. So that's the immediate context. That's the, that's the whole Bible or biblical theology context, if I could call it that. Are you with me still? I just want to close by making two points. I want to ask how does this apply to us today? How does this apply to your life and my life and my marriage and your workplace? The sin that you face, the sin that you so petrified anyone in the room found out about, you think that they'd never think you were a real Christian. I read a beautiful thing by, I think it was Papa this week, and he says they talk about the octopus. You know, I like the focus fox, you know, if you've been here for a while. I love these little animal things. But he talks about the octopus, and he says, like, an octopus has eight legs, and sometimes one of the legs will become diseased or, or broken or damaged. And he says, if you take that octopus and you look at just the one leg of the octopus, one of the eight legs, you'll think, man, this thing's on its last legs. It's about to, it's about to peg it, this poor little octopus. We may as well just make calamari right now. But he says, if you go and look at the other seven legs, you realize, hey, no, actually there's health here. And he says, often in our Christian walk, for every single one of us, it feels like that. If you look at a man or a woman from a certain leg, from a certain angle, you're like, this person's not even saved. This person's about to die. We may as well make calamari with them. <laughs> this leg is all dead. And every single one of us carry that 
dead leg in our lives, right? Then you look at the other seven and you just see the grace of God abounding. And that you don't outgrow that, guys. Just for those of us who are trying to reach sinless perfection, good luck until heaven. We don't outgrow this. This is a continual, we, we're striving, we're saying, God, I hate that sin. I don't want it in my life. We're not casually resigned to it. Oh, it's just my sin. We're not casually resigned to it, but we do recognize that we're going to walk with brokenness in our lives until the day when this aging body falls to the ground, turns to dust, and I'm going to be in glory. What a day. So I think every Christ follower in the room deeply resonates with these Galatians. I think those of us who've come to salvation, we've come, that's a big word to say, we've come to know who Jesus is and to say, yes, I surrender, I follow you, and have received the Holy Spirit. We've had these moments, we've had the moment where our blind eyes were suddenly open. Many of you can put a date to it or a day. Some of you crossed the line of faith gradually, but somehow we know that our blind eyes were open. Peace came flooding into our lives. Guilt was washed away. But now we feel this slow creeping indifference in our hearts that's growing like a moss over my joy and over my victory over sin, right? And like after years, often we've been following Jesus for many years and we don't feel that first love anymore. It doesn't feel like when we first came to Him. We, we don't do, as Revelation says, the things that we did at first. We don't do those things anymore. And, it, and it's, we read Paul in other, in other sections, like if I think about Thessalonians and Philippians, there's these phrases where he says, I want you to abound more and more. I want you to grow more and more. And the only thing I feel sometimes like I'm growing and abounding in more and more is sin. I'm like, where's this Philippians, Thessalonians thing? Like, I want you to grow, to abound, to grow more and more. And we think, I want that, God. I want that. But my life doesn't look like that. It doesn't feel like that, God. And we're so constantly aware of our sin and our failures and our fleshly efforts. And we just, Lord, if I'm honest, I feel like I'm going backwards sometimes. And this is the Christian experience sometimes, right? And I think we're missing something incredibly critical. I think we're missing what it means to walk with the Spirit. And I'm so concerned about the, if I can call it the overly charismatic, and you guys, you know me, you know that I'm charismatic. I believe in the gifts. We preach the gifts. We want to see more and more tongues exploding in our midst and, and prophecy and healing, as even Amanda was so beautifully just gently praying over us during our worship this morning. So I'm all for that. But when we make the Holy Spirit only that, when He becomes just the experience, just, the, just that And he doesn't have space to get into our hearts so that we walk with him and we live with him. And Galatians 5, we, we feel like in our lives we're keeping in step with him. And it feels like we take a step and we're like, oh, the, the Holy Spirit was pleased with that. Kind of like you're feeling out the ground in front of you. And then you, you take the next step. And we're going to speak about this very, very practically next week. We're going to speak about how do we actually face our sin and walk through it with the, Holy, with the Holy Spirit alongside us. So if you're a Christ follower, was my point, I think you feel this. 
I think you know this. And even if you aren't a Christ follower this morning, if, you, if you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus, man, I bet you you've come across this in people who are saying they follow Jesus. I bet you you look at the church and sometimes you see her, because she is, as so feeble and so full of failure. Do we need another pastor scandal? I mean, pastors are caught doing all kinds of things. Do you, I watched a, uh, what is it called, Spotlight or something about the Catholic Church, the abuse in the, in the Catholic Church, and it's just, it was, it was, Brought me to tears. So some of you coming in here, I, I agree with you. We look at your Christian friend and you think, yeah, I can see what you're talking about. I can see that, they, that they're trying to do all this in their own effort. And it seems like the only difference between their life and my life is that they are a whole lot more busy because they have to come to church on a Sunday and they can't go surfing. I'm not into that. I don't want that powerless thing that you're calling Christianity. And Paul looks at the Galatian church and he says the same thing. He says, you guys, you had something. There was something beautiful, burst, burst in Jesus, burst in the heart of God. But now you're not living in it. You, you're bickering and you're fighting. If you go and read the book, you're bickering and you're fighting. And the kind of fruit that you're producing, we're going to talk about that next week as well. The kind of fruit that you're producing is awful. Sexual immorality. All the stuff that he starts to speak about is coming out of your hearts. And then he says, but, but here's the fruit, the fruit that the Spirit is meant to be producing out of you. But you, you don't look like that at all. You're foolish. You're a hypocrite. You're bewitched. You're beset with sin. What to do? Let's finish off with that. What, what do we do? What do we do? Is anyone else asking that question in their heart? Tell us what to do, Paul. Tell us what the Word of God says we must do. I hope you are. So Paul gives them a few things which just immediately are applicable into our lives. The first one is this, get back to the start. Get back to the start. He says in effect, hey, hey, let's, hey, Galatians, listen to me, Galatians. Let's, let's remember where this all started. And he says to them, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes, in verse 1, it was before your eyes, Galatians, that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, our experience of the gospel begins with the preaching of the cross. It begins with the preaching of the cross. Now, as Christians, I can just see you switching off right now. Oh, the gospel, oh, the cross. And we've heard it so many times and you just go, oh, let me just think about roast dinner. Let me just think about what's going to happen in my afternoon later on. Stay with me, please. This is so powerful. When Paul went to Galatia, he preached the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word there is almost like a billboard. It's like he placarded it. He held up Jesus in front of their eyes. It was like one of those gigantic billboards as you come into a town or as you come into the mall or whatever by the roadside of many countries. And he held it up so high and so visible and so clearly that they couldn't miss it. It was the centerpiece of everything that Paul preached to them. was the gospel. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I told you about him. I lifted him up. I picked him up before you. He said nothing at all about Mosaic law. He said nothing at all about religious observance. I don't know how much he said about even the Holy Spirit. He was preaching Jesus. And as they believed in Jesus, in the cross of Jesus, they came to faith. As they heard about it, they had to hear it, like Romans says, 
How will they know if no one tells them? Who's going to tell them about the gospel if we don't send people to others? Someone has to go. Someone has to preach it. Someone has to lift up Jesus high. And as Jesus is lifted high, so these Galatians came to faith. And immediately they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Alive. They felt awakened. They knew something was different. You could ask them, did it change? And they didn't go, ah, no, it changed. Something different. They knew that their sins were forgiven. And we're talking about how to live this life in the Spirit. And I want to to challenge you this morning. If we want more of the Spirit in our lives, we must look to Christ. The Spirit always only magnifies Jesus. We don't look for more of the Spirit to get to the Spirit. We look to Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, we experience more of walking in the Spirit. I wonder if some of us, ironically, are not experiencing more power in our lives from learning to walk in the Spirit because our focus is wrong. We look to Him. We go to 24-hour soaking sessions. We try, and, we try and, and fake it. I'm so tired of the charismatic church faking it. Guys, I want, I want the real. I want the real. I want to say, God, I know you can do it. I trust you to do it. I'm not going to pretend that you've healed someone. I'm not going to pretend that you've filled someone. I'm not going to make someone do some psychobabble, blah, 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 blah. Yes, now you're speaking in tongues. No, I want the power of God to fall upon them and the the explosion of their hearts and gratitude and joy to our King to come out in in a language that I don't understand. That's tongues. Not some psychological trickery. Put, I was, maybe the one time I was in this, I won't even say what country because I don't want to offend anyone, but, and, and, and we were praying for people, for the Spirit of God, and we were, we were just crying out for God. And this pastor of this church had obviously been watching American televangelists, and he was putting his leg behind people, literally, and pushing them until they fell over. And I was just being grieved in my heart. The young man, I was probably like 22, and I was, I was watching it, and I was just grieved in my heart. I was, is, this, is this what we're going to pretend? And I don't, want, I don't want any pretend. I don't want any pretend. I want to experience Him for real. The Holy Spirit is, His entire job is look at Jesus. Isn't He wonderful? Isn't He magnificent? I shared this illustration with you before. I'm going to share it again because it's just so powerful. There's, there's those big lights that shine up on Table Mountain. To show you the mountain, or in, you can think of any big lights you know that shine up on something. And one of my friends, Taryn William, was saying it's, it's like a, a group of hippies come in their VW van and they get out their party stuff and they're just all about the light. They're so excited about this light. And so they have a light party and they dance around the light and they set up their picnic blankets and they park their VW so they can get this light on their VW. And they're just like so excited about the light. And everything's about this light. And actually, someone comes along and says, what are you guys doing? Look at the mountain. Look at the mountain. The light's only there. The only reason the light's even there is to show you the mountain. You're missing the whole glory of this, 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 this lit up mountain because you're here busy dancing in the light and getting blind because it's so bright in your eyes. And I think that's somehow, sometimes how we approach the Holy Spirit. We come to Him for Him. We want His experience. We want to dance around the light. We want to be in the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm all for those things when it's within the power of God. That's doing it within our, within our midst. And I, I need to stop terrifying because you know that, right? But the Holy Spirit comes like that spotlight and He says, Look at the mountain. Look at Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, boom, 
we experience the Spirit in our lives. He flows and works and moves, and we do experience Him powerfully. John Piper says this, and it should come up behind me. This is finishing off this first point. The Spirit is meant in all He does to make Jesus look magnificent. That's what He's in the world to do. So, if you love the beauty of Christ, if you treasure the glory of Christ, you're going to love the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be eager to know about it, to talk about it, to think about it. And most of all, you're going to be eager to experience His work in your life doing that. So we go back to the beginning. If we want to walk in the Spirit, Paul, how do we, how do we walk in the Spirit in our lives? I'm telling you, the first thing that you need to do is you need to go back and marvel and meditate upon the wonder and the majesty of who Jesus is and what He's done in your life. The second thing is this, and we're going to speak about this loads more next week, but as it starts, so it continues. That would be my summary of Galatians 3. As it starts, so it continues. In other words, Paul is saying to them, the way that you received the Spirit in the first place is how you carry on. I think there's this prevalent idea in the church. There's this great confusion. For years and years, we try to earn our salvation, right? We try and earn our salvation, but then one day, maybe we hear a preach, or maybe a friend talks to us, or maybe we read a passage of Scripture. Something just clicks in our mind. Click! And we realize, oh my goodness, I've been trying to earn my salvation, but I couldn't earn my salvation. It's only a free gift of God. Thank you, Jesus. Grace! Yes, grace, grace. And we come to salvation. That's called justification. The way I like to remember it, just as if I had never sinned. Justification. Justified. And we realize in that moment, wow! I'm, I'm justified by God alone, by Jesus, by grace alone. And then here's the great confusion. The, the penny finally drops that it's a free gift, that Jesus has done it. I don't have to do it. And we say, awesome, thank you, Lord. Now I need to grow. Hmm. How do I grow? I'll tell you what. Let me start doing stuff. Let me try harder. And we fall back into exactly the same trap because there's this idea that somehow justification is all done by Christ but sanctification oh now I've got to bring my effort back again and this is exactly what Paul is speaking about he says did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith come on guys did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith which one did you hear Hearing with faith, right? So that's your salvation moment, outpouring of the Spirit. That's how it starts. But then in verse 5, he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you? This is now the doing part, right? And now Paul's asking, so that's how you received him. Now he's working miracles. Now he's doing things among you. Now let me ask you the same question. The structure is identical. How does he do that? How's he doing that? The same, by hearing with faith. So our justification and our sanctification, I hope those words are, are familiar enough for you if you don't know Jesus. I don't mean to put this um, in, a, in a Christian way, but it is a Christian thought, so it's brilliant that it's there. <laughs> but justification, sanctification, 
Both of them. As you begin, so you continue. And this is such a slippery fish. This is such a slippery fish because, man, if I know my heart and I, I have some idea and I know you know some of your heart, how quickly our hearts are prone to work again. How quickly our hearts grasp His grace and forgiveness with the one hand while trying to keep this slippery fish while in the other hand, instinctively, we begin to try and please Him with fleshly efforts and law-keeping and rule-keeping. Just tell me how to live. Give me some morals. I'm not going to sleep with my girlfriend. Now I'm acceptable to God. Paul speaks about this and he's in, in Romans and he says, so I find it to be a law. Like it's always, in other words, this always happens to me that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Anyone sympathize with Paul here? When I want to do right, evil's right there. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Like I really want to do God's will. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, (laughs) so here's all I want you to take away from today. After I try to lay a foundation out of this Galatians 3, two basic principles. If you want to live your life in the Spirit, if you say, Paul, that resonates with me, I feel the same things you're feeling, I see what these Galatian people are facing, and I feel it too, I started there, but now I'm all the way over here, I want you to take these two things, because these are the bedrock of how we walk in the Spirit. Number one, we go to Jesus again and again. We remember that we're saved by Him, we seek His glory, we make much of Him, we meditate on Him, we pray to Him, we think on Him, we pursue Him. Jesus becomes marvelous in front of our eyes. We lift Him up like Paul says here. We placard Him. We billboard Him in our lives. And the Holy Spirit is pleased. Pleased. And He comes rushing in to walk with us. And the second thing is that we realize that both our justification and our sanctification rely only and completely upon this faith in Jesus. Not law. Not being perfected by the flesh. No. By hearing with faith. Are you with me? So let me ask you this. Christ followers, won't you bring your hearts in repentance this morning? That's the, the, the one thing I'd like to say. If you want to take something out of this, Won't you go before God, examine your heart, and say, Lord, man, I I can see that what Paul was saying this morning in the pulpit, that's true of me. It's Guys, hand up. This is so true of my life. That's why I can preach it so passionately. Because I feel it so passionately. Because it's my daily lived experience. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? And we've got to come before the Holy Spirit, before Jesus, before the Father, with honest hearts. And we say, Lord, forgive us. Even right now, I'm just going to pray over us. Father, would you forgive us where we have begun in the Spirit. Begun by seeing who you are, Jesus. The glory of who you are in that magnificent moment when our eyes are opened and our ears, it feels like we can hear for the first time. 
And our guilt is washed away, but then somehow over the years or the months, we're slipping into trying to do this in our own strength. God, we want to repent. Teach us how to walk with your Spirit. Teach us how to not walk with, with bolt-on laws and religion and moralism and how to behave and all this stuff piled all over us and we feel just as weighed down as we did before we ever came to you in the first place. Break it off us this morning. We repent, God. Take hearts out of this place this morning in, in bedrooms in this week, Father, where they meet with you, where they weep before you as they repent, as you show them in the fullness of what it is, of how we try to do this in our own strength and how pointless it is. Forgive us, Jesus. And then I really am about two minutes away from finishing, but I want to just for a moment speak to those of you who don't know who Jesus is. Just as believers slip into trying to do stuff in their flesh, I think that the trouble is most of the time the other way around for you when you don't yet know Jesus. You feel like, let me just fix up my life a bit. Let me just get my life in order a little bit and then I'll come. Then I'll come to God. When I've got something better to offer Him, then I'll come. And I've got the best news in the world for you. Jesus was speaking to this group of people in the Gospels. And He says this to them. He says it's profound. He says the sick are the ones who need a doctor. Not the righteous. I didn't come for the right. I've come for the sick. I've come for you in your sin, in your brokenness. And so if you feel this morning, man, I want to just get my life sorted out. I just want to free you from that in Jesus' name. He came for you right now. You're in the perfect position to accept Him. In the midst of your sin, when you feel completely unworthy, that's what He said He came for. I'm a doctor, says Jesus. That sickness that you're feeling, I came to get at that. I came to heal that. Beautiful. And so I want to invite you out of this Galatians text, just as Christians can't start in hearing in faith and then somehow cross over into works. I want to put your works before you this morning and I want to say with all the respect in my heart, they will not get you to God. Give it up. Stop trying. Come to Him. As I, as I preach about Jesus, maybe something in your heart stirs and you say, man, I don't quite know all the answers. I don't know everything. But what I do know is that I feel the faith. I want to trust this God. I want to bring my life and I want to trust Him. That's what faith is. If that's going on in your heart this morning, I want to ask you, won't you let me know? Right now, in this, in this setting, won't you just pick up a hand and say, that's me. I don't know how to walk this life, but I want to start. I want to put my faith in Jesus so that we can walk a journey with you. Is there anybody, I'm not going to draw it out, but if there's anybody like that, just with courage in your heart, just stick up a hand. Then we conclude our morning and we say amen and amen. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the way it cuts into our hearts. Lord, Thank you that we don't live in any condemnation. Even while we're in the midst of all of this, we live in grace and freedom and joy that we can walk with your Spirit who demands that we don't do it in our own strength. What a relief. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.